Third, look at the material again. How much did you remember? Make sure you have enough time to allow yourself to go through this process multiple times. As Clem points out, the studies showed that optimal learning occurred when an initial learning session included repeated study and forced recall testing of all items at least four times in a row. This leads me to the next important habit to adopt. Habit number two, employ spaced repetition. As discussed earlier in this chapter, cramming has many downsides. While it is natural to procrastinate, leaving yourself in situations where you need to study a tremendous amount of material all at once makes it likely you aren't going to learn that material at all. The reason is that trying to work that way puts us in direct opposition to the way our brains work. Alternatively, if you space out your reviews of the material, focusing more heavily on information that you haven't retained in the past, you're using your brain to the best of its abilities. Space repetition is simple but highly effective because it deliberately hacks the way your brain works, agrees James Gupta, CEO of the online learning platform Synap. It forces learning to be effortful, and, like muscles, the brain responds to the stimulus by strengthening the connections between nerve cells. By spacing the intervals out, you're further exercising these connections each time. It produces long-term, durable retention of knowledge, and, in my experience, once people start using it, they swear by it. Spaced repetition seems to work most effectively when you can review the material at similar intervals. This is why it's important to give yourself enough time. Perhaps you perform the review once in the morning and again right before dinner for four days in a row and then move on to other material you need to study at similar intervals. Use this technique in concert with active recall. Review the material, test yourself on what you remember, then take a break before coming back to this particular material. Habit number three, manage the state you're in. As we've talked about earlier in this book, the state you're in when you perform any activity will have the greatest impact on your success. For example, if you had a really bad day, and you were asked to give a presentation for your job or take a test, you most likely would not perform to the best of your ability. This is because your state of mind did not promote optimal performance. On the other hand, if you're feeling great, when the same opportunity arises, you would definitely produce better results. The more positive and resourceful your state, the greater the results you'll produce. Studying is no different. Your posture also controls the state of your mind. Sit or stand as if you're about to learn the most crucial life-changing information. Did you just have to move? If you did, then notice how you feel more focused after you've changed your posture. When you sit or stand straight, it also facilitates breathing and the circulation of necessary oxygen to your brain and the rest of your body. If you are slumped over, it could stifle the breathing process and make you fatigued and tired. Quick start. While you are standing or sitting in a chair, slump over, look down, take short breaths, and put a frown on your face. Do this now. How motivated do you feel to achieve success? How productive do you think you are in this state? This is the posture of a lot of students while studying. Is it any wonder they dislike studying and have to work hard to achieve bare minimum results? Now, sit or stand up, straight, smile. How much better do you feel? Habit number four. Use your sense of smell. I'm sure something like this has happened to you. 
You walk into a room and discover the air is filled with a particular scent. Maybe it's the smell of a specific spice baking in the oven. That scent immediately sends you back to a day with a childhood friend when she made a joke that was so funny that milk came out of your nose. Why would the smell of that spice trigger that memory? Because that smell was in the air when the event that you're remembering happened. The smells are especially effective at bringing memories to the forefront of our brains. The scent of rosemary has been shown to improve memory. Peppermint and lemon promotes concentration. The answer is likely due to brain anatomy, writes Jordan Gaines Lewis, postdoctoral researcher at Penn State College of Medicine. Incoming smells are first processed by the olfactory bulb, which starts inside the nose and runs along the bottom of the brain. The olfactory bulb has direct connections to two brain areas that are strongly implicated in emotion and memory, the amygdala and hippocampus. Interestingly, visual, auditory, and tactile information do not pass through these brain areas. This may be why olfaction, more than any other sense, is so successful at triggering emotions and memories. What this shows us is that smell is an enormously important yet underused memory tool. If a particular scent can rocket us back to our childhoods, a different scent can be used to accelerate our recall. If you're studying for a big test, put a bit of a particular essential oil on your wrist while you're studying and then make sure you do the same thing before you take the test. If you do the same thing in preparing for a big meeting, the results should be similar. Obviously, you want to take other people into consideration, but you don't want to douse yourself with the scent but just a touch is enough to heighten your recall. Habit number five, music for the mind. Think about how you did some of your earliest learnings. Did you, like so many people, memorize the alphabet through song? Or perhaps you know how a bill gets through Congress because Schoolhouse Rock sang it to you. Parents have probably been teaching toddlers basic concepts through music for as long as music has been around. They do it because it works, and it works because there is strong science behind it. Numerous studies link music to learning. The arousal and mood hypothesis introduced by Dr. E. Glenn Schellenberg identifies a connection between music and mood and the subsequent connection between mood and learning, suggesting that music can put us in conditions that improve our ability to learn. Baroque music seems to have some particularly valuable qualities. Music stabilizes mental, physical, and emotional rhythms to attain a state of deep concentration and focus in which large amounts of content information can be processed and learned, states music and learning expert Chris Boyd Brewer. Baroque music, such as that composed by Bach, Handel, or Telemann, that is 50 to 80 beats per minute, creates an atmosphere of focus that leads students into deep concentration in the alpha brain wave state. Learning vocabulary, memorizing facts, or reading this to music is highly effective. There's no similar evidence that the results would be the same for, say, rap or K-pop. But because one's reaction to music is such a personal thing, it's possible that this music would work for you as well. But since streaming music is so ubiquitous, I'd recommend adding a Baroque playlist as background to your study sessions. Amazon Music, Apple Music, and Spotify all have Baroque 
playlists, and if you wanted to explore further, each have classical music playlists comprised largely of Baroque music that have been specifically compiled for the purpose of studying. Habit number six: Listen with your whole brain. If you're going to unlimit your learning. You're going to want to make sure your listening skills are fully tuned up. There's a very strong connection between listening and learning, and more than a quarter of us are auditory learners, meaning that the primary way in which we learn is through hearing something. Listening is critical to learning, and we spend a large percentage of our waking time listening. But most of us are not particularly good at it. Plenty of studies examine this phenomenon," writes Bob Sullivan and Hugh Thompson in their book *The Plateau Effect*. While listening is the core of most of our communications, the average adult listens nearly twice as much as he or she talks. Most people stink at it. Here's one typical result: test takers were asked to sit through a 10-minute oral presentation and later to describe its content. Half of adults can't do it even moments after the talk, and 48 hours later, fully 75% of listeners can't recall the subject matter. One of the reasons we don't listen well is that we tend not to apply all our brain power to the exercise. Sullivan and Thompson, who conducted a study with Carnegie Mellon University on the nature of digital distractions, point out that. The human brain has the capacity to digest as much as 400 words per minute of information, but even a speaker from New York City talks at about 125 words per minute. That means three quarters of your brain could very well be doing something else while someone is speaking to you. To help you alleviate this problem, I've devised a tool that will help you listen with your whole brain. Just remember the acronym HEAR. H E A R. H is for halt. In all likelihood, as you're listening to someone speak, there will be other things going on in the same space. Maybe there are people milling about. Maybe your phone is chirping, telling you you've just received a text. Maybe there's music playing in the room or a television in the background. Meanwhile, you're thinking about your to-do list, your next meeting. Or what you're going to have for dinner that night. Do everything you can to tune all of this out, and to be completely present with whomever you're listening to. Remember that listening involves more than just words a person is saying. Vocal inflection, body language, facial expressions, and more create additional context and provide additional information. You can absorb all of this only. If you halt everything else, E is for empathy. If you can imagine yourself in the speaker's shoes, you're likely to learn more from this listening experience than if you do it dispassionately. Trying to understand where the speaker is coming from and why brings additional substance to what he or she might be saying and allows you to feel it. From their perspective, A is for anticipate. Engage in the experience with a sense of anticipation. Remember that learning is state dependent, and that what you can learn from the speaker will become a long-term memory if you attach emotion to it. Your enthusiasm for what you're hearing will greatly increase your potential for truly hearing it. R is for review. If you have the opportunity to directly engage with the speaker, do so. Ask clarifying questions, or maybe even for a point to be repeated. If you're in the position to take notes, do so, and afterwards reflect on what the speaker said. Paraphrase it in your mind and imagine yourself teaching it to someone else. Doing so will solidify it in your mind. Habit number seven: Take note of taking notes. 
Studying under the best conditions will likely improve your retention considerably. And both in preparation for your studies and in concert with your studies, upgrading your note taking ability is invaluable. The ultimate advantage of taking notes is that they customize the information you need to retain to your vocabulary and your mode of thinking. At their best, Notes allow you to organize and process information in a way that makes it most likely that you can use this information afterwards. But many people take notes ineffectively. Common pitfalls include concentrating so heavily on writing notes that you're not actually listening to the information, trying to write down every single thing you hear, and writing notes in such a way. They won't be helpful to you the day later. It's easy to avoid all of these pitfalls once you are aware of them. So let's put a plan together for upgrading your note taking ability. First of all, be sure that you understand the purpose of taking these notes. For example, the goal of taking notes in a mid semester lecture might be very different than the notes you take in the review class before a final. Similarly, what you're trying to accomplish with the notes you take in a weekly meeting with your team is likely to be different from the notes you take in the week leading up to a major client presentation. By being clear on your intention with your notes, you are able to distinguish between information that is relevant to you and information that is not. I have a friend who is a writer and insists on transcribing every interview he does, even though it would be more time efficient to have a transcription service do it for him. The reason, he says, is that by doing it himself, he only transcribes the parts of the interview that he knows he's going to be able to use, therefore eliminating the possibility that these quotes will get lost among all the other conversations that might not be relevant to the book he's writing. What he's left with is nearly pure content. Likewise, if you take notes with a goal in mind, every note you take will have relevance. Once you're clear on your goals, take an active approach to note taking. Listen with the intention of getting exactly what you need, and write your notes in ways that will benefit your recall later. If you're going to use abbreviations and shortcuts, use ones that are familiar to you. The last thing you want is for your own notes to be indecipherable to you later. Equally important is making sure that you use your own words whenever possible. As noted earlier, one of the key pitfalls to effective note taking is trying to record everything. There are two obvious downsides to this. One is that it is impossible to write as quickly as most people speak. On average, people handwrite 10 to 12 words a minute, and the average speaker speaks at around 100 words a minute. Even if you are typing your notes, Which I don't recommend as much, more on this shortly, you'd probably only be able to get down half of what the speaker was saying. But there's an even more fundamental downside. If you're copying what someone is saying verbatim, you're probably not processing any of it. That means that, at the most essential moment of learning, you're utilizing most of your brain to the task of taking dictation. When you use your own words in your notes, you begin to process the information, and that greatly enhances learning. And while we're on the subject of writing, I'd recommend you handwrite your notes. Even if you're using a tablet computer to store your notes, use an electronic pen to do so. For one thing, There are readily available programs that can convert your handwriting to text for later organization. But most importantly, handwriting requires you to start processing the material immediately, and that has proven to be more effective. The present research suggests 
that even when laptops are used solely to take notes, they may still be impairing learning because their use results in shallower processing, writes Pam A. Mueller and Daniel M. Oppenheimer in their study on this topic. We found that students who took notes on laptops performed worse on conceptual questions than students who took notes longhand. We show that whereas taking more notes can be beneficial, laptop note-takers' tendency to transcribe lectures verbatim rather than processing information and reframing it in their own words is detrimental to learning. Most importantly, make sure you are really listening. You're not there as a secretary. You're there as someone who is receiving information for later use. Therefore, it is important to actually hear what others are saying. Take note of what's being emphasized. Make sure you're understanding the points the speaker is making. And if the opportunity is available, ask questions. This can only happen if you're devoting at least as much attention to the information being delivered as you are to the recording of that information. While you're taking notes, use a method I call capture and create. On the left side of the paper, you're capturing, you're taking notes. On the right side, you're creating, you're making notes. You're writing your impressions of what you're capturing. How can I use this? Why must I use this? When will I use this? After your note-taking session is over, review your notes immediately. This will help you retain the information much more effectively than if you don't read your notes for days. As an added benefit, You'll be able to supplement your notes with anything you might have missed while taking them because the information will still be fresh in your mind. A tip for upgrading your note-taking. If you want to make sure you're always getting the most from your note-taking, remember the mnemonic TIP. T-I-P. T is for think. Before you begin any session where you're going to be taking notes, think about what you're hoping to retain most from this session. This will help you filter the high-value information from the information that is less relevant to your goal. I is for identify. Listen carefully to the information being presented and identify what is most important in the context of your goal. Remember that attempting to write down everything is going to make it impossible to process the information at the time and will probably make studying harder. Identify what you need the most and write that down. P is for prioritize. As you review your notes after the presentation, Prioritize the information that is most valuable to you, perhaps adding additional notes as necessary to make the priority information clearer or making an outline to highlight key points. Before we move on, if you acknowledge that unlimiting yourself means being a student for life, then how you go about your studies is vitally important. Before we move on to the next chapter, let's try a few things. Take your active recall out for a spin. Introduce yourself to some new material and immediately assess how much of it you retained. This audio is a perfect example. Find a music playlist that works for you. There are many of them available and the right music is likely to enhance your ability to absorb information. So take some time to find one that you like. Maybe you'll even want to have it in the background while you listen or read the rest of this book. And finally, try out your new note-taking skills. Maybe go through this chapter again 
and take notes about it. Or watch one of our videos online and take notes of that instead. Use the skills you've learned here to upgrade this experience. If you go to limitlessbook.com forward slash resources, you'll see more tools and videos of how I take notes. I, uh, I'm laughing, Jim, listening to that chapter because study is something I've done my whole life. I've done, I've done so many years of study and I'm laughing because I, I, I haven't done it right. And I have never been taught how to study. You're right. We were taught what to study and never how. And so we end up cramming. Crazy. Now, now what I really loved out of that was that not only have I never been taught to study, but I never even thought about using other senses, what you put in there about the smell and music. So can you tell us a bit more about how we can engage our senses for, for excellent study techniques? Absolutely. I wish you had access to this when you were, when you were studying law and, and, and education. That would have been a lot of people, they end up cramming, which is, which is not the way, as, as you've learned in this, in this chapter. Yes, you could absolutely use senses to get more out of your studies. And so what we talked about in this chapter was using certain classical music that harmonizes with the resting heart rate to help you to relax, to put you in that alpha state where you could help, helps you to memorize facts and figures and foreign languages faster. Using the sense of, of smell is actually one of the most powerful ways to activate your memory because it goes right to your brain, one of the quickest ways. It's probably a survival mechanism where you needed to smell old food that could be not good for you or poison or something like that to keep you alive. And there are actually, you know, as we're talking about in the chapter, you learn things best in the environment you study in. So if you need to perform somewhere, it's great to study in that environment. But that's not always the case. You can't always study in that classroom to take the test in the classroom or, or study in that you know, boardroom to give that presentation in the boardroom. But you could bring the environment with you. So you having certain senses, um, you know, a chewing gum or a lip balm, something unique, you use it while you're studying. And then when you need to perform, use that same one and it'll trigger those memories. I love that. It's like a cue. It is. It is like a perfect trigger when we talk about the power of habits. And there's certain senses that actually help you cognitively. Like it's been shown that lavender helps you to relax and helps you to sleep. There are certain things like peppermint helps you to concentrate better. So essential oils are very powerful. Rosemary has been shown to help with our memory. So there's all kinds of tools and resources to help us to be able to study better so we could be more limitless. I love this, a multi-dimensional way to engage our brains and the learning process. And when it comes to study, I was taught to rely simply on rote learning, which didn't work out great for me. And so I'm really excited to learn about this next chapter memory and how to really engage with that part of our brain. Chapter 13, Memory. What can I do to improve my memory right away? How do I keep a big chunk of information in my memory? How can I easily access this information when I need it? A few years back, I walked into our office early in the morning before anyone else had come in. The phone started ringing, so I went to answer it. Immediately, a woman's effusive voice sang out from the other end, I love you, I love you, I love you. Trust me that this is not a common response I receive answering a call. Whoa, I said, who's this? It's Anne, I took your course. She then quickly declared, I found it. Okay, she had me. What did you find? I don't know what it is, but I've been doing all these exercises you've been teaching, and I've started to remember things, even when I'm not using the strategy and methods. I'm remembering names and conversations. So she hadn't answered that question either. I realized I was going to have to let her tell her story the way she wanted to tell it. Over the next few minutes, I learned that a few years earlier, She'd been given a family heirloom from her grandmother. It was a necklace that had been passed down from generation to generation. And her grandmother skipped over her own daughter and her three older sisters to bequeath the necklace to her. Anne was extremely honored to receive this gift and vowed to be careful with it. There was only one problem. 
She'd been so concerned about keeping the necklace safe that she'd hidden it somewhere she couldn't remember in her house. When she realized she didn't know where the necklace was, she started searching, but to no avail. This led to monumental levels of angst and an enormous amount of guilt compounded by her family. After three years, she'd come to the conclusion that she'd either misplaced the heirloom forever or that someone had stolen it. Then, at 2 a.m. the morning of this call, she woke up out of a dead sleep. She went down two flights of stairs to her basement, ran over to her boiler, moved behind it, and reached into a crevice there. She pulled out the necklace and nearly died from the relief. That's an amazing story. Congratulations, I told her. I'm curious, though. I didn't teach you how to find misplaced items. That's not one of the things we covered in our class. Yes, but you did something way more valuable. I don't know what it is, but for the past few weeks, I'm just remembering all kinds of things. Not just in the present, but stuff I hadn't thought about in years. Jim, thank you for giving me my brain back. What Anne was illustrating through her excitement is something I've been sharing with people for a long time. Yes, your brain is an organ, but it acts like a muscle. And it most significantly resembles a muscle in that it's a use-it-or-lose-it device. Our brains stay fit only when we make a concerted effort to keep them fit. If we fail to keep our brains in shape, either through laziness or being overly dependent on technology to do our thinking and remembering for us, or by failing to challenge ourselves with new learnings, it becomes flabby. Think about it this way. If you have your arm in a sling for 6 to 12 months, you don't come away with a stronger arm. In fact, after you take the arm out of the sling, you're likely to have little functioning at all. Your brain is the same way. If you don't exercise it regularly, it might not be at its best when you need it the most. But if you make the effort to keep your brain in top shape, you'll discover that it's always ready to do superhero-level work for you, just as it did for this caller. You can always rely on mom. Memory is arguably the most important part of the learning process. If you cannot remember, then you cannot learn anything. There is no knowledge without memory. But why do most people have less than ideal memory skills? I think it's because of the way we were taught to memorize things, which was usually through rote memorization. To this day, most schools teach students to memorize by repeating a fact or a quote until it is temporarily burned in, even though people tend to forget this information as soon as they no longer need it. And this type of memory rarely leads to mastery of the material being memorized. Your memory is one of your greatest assets. It supports you in every area of your life. I challenge you to do anything without utilizing your memory. If you did not have a memory, life would be extremely challenging to say the least. Imagine waking up each day and forgetting everything you ever knew. You would have to teach yourself how to get out of bed, how to get dressed, how to brush your teeth, how to eat your breakfast, how to drive your car. That would be quite inconvenient. Luckily, you were born with a great memory. You just need to be shown how to use it. Quick start. How would you rate your memory right now? What aspects would you like to improve? Take our memory assessment at limitlessbook.com forward slash resources to understand more.
If you're going to perform a major upgrade on your brain, you're going to want to unlimit your memory, as memory is such a fundamental part of most brain function. Since that's the case, let me reassure you with a very important fact. There's no such thing as a good or bad memory. There is only a trained memory and an untrained memory. If you have trouble remembering people's names, making presentations without notes, or even finding your car keys in the morning, it's extremely unlikely that this is because you're incapable of doing these things. Instead, you just haven't gotten the training. Joshua 4 is proof positive that memory can be trained. In 2005, Joshua was a journalist who had taken on an assignment of writing about the little-known world of mental athletes. Fascinated by what he saw in elite memorization contests, he wanted to discover more about the participants. To his surprise, he learned that almost every participant he interviewed described themselves as having a poor or average memory before they learned and practiced the principles of memorization. Now they were competing at the highest levels of the contest. It dawned on Four that there were no restrictions to memory and that memory can be trained just like athletic skill. He began to practice what he learned. One year later, he returned to the USA Memory Championship, but this time as a competitor. The day of the event, we had lunch together between competitions and marveled at the fact that often what appears to be genius can actually be learned. Later that day, Four placed number one and took home the trophy. He went on to write the groundbreaking book, Moonwalking with Einstein, The Art and Science of Remembering Everything. Why is memory so important if you're going to unlimit yourself? Because your memory serves as the foundation for every action you take now and every one you will take in the future. Imagine what it would be like if your computer had very little storage or had inconsistent access to what it had stored. Most functions would be nearly impossible to perform. You'd start to write an email message and your computer might or might not have the addressee among your contacts and might or might not remember how to send the message after you'd written it. And the ones that did perform would take excruciatingly long while your computer figured out how to do it. While I've likened our brains to supercomputers, we all know they're so much more than that. Perhaps the most significant difference is our ability to reason, to consider the facts or the situation in front of us, and to act, innovate, or navigate through circumstances based on those facts and situations. The process of reasoning requires us to shift through rich stores of memories using tools that have been proven useful in the past to make informed and productive decisions. It's impossible to think creatively into the future without a sense of what is known, writes Dr. Eve Martyr, professor of neuroscience at Brandeis University. We commonly say that we are looking for interdisciplinary and synthetic thinkers who can make connections between disparate fields and see new paths for discovery. I cannot imagine finding those creative leaders for the future among the legions of students who forget everything they have learned because they can just look it up. How does one know what to look up if one has forgotten so much? Dr. William R. Clem, who we met in Chapter 12, gives us five reasons why improving memory is essential. Number one, memorization is discipline for the mind. Much needed in an age where so many minds are lazy, distracted, have little to think about, or think sloppily, 
Memorization helps train the mind to focus and be industrious. Number two, no, you can't always Google it. Sometimes you don't have access to the internet, and not everything of importance is on the web, and a great deal of irrelevant trash will accompany any search. Nor is looking up material helpful under such situations as when you learn to use a foreign language, must write or speak extemporaneously, or wish to be an expert. Number three, memorization creates the repertoire of what we think about. Nobody can think in a vacuum of information. To be an expert in any field requires knowledge that you already have. Number four, we think with the ideas held in working memory, which can only be accessed at high speed from the brain's stored memory. Understanding is nourished by the information you hold in working memory as you think. Without such knowledge, we have a mind full of mush. And number five. The exercise of the memory develops learning and memory schema that promote improved ability to learn. The more you remember, the more you can learn. I want to emphasize that last point. It's not accurate that your memory works like a container, a cup, or a hard drive in that once it's full of data, no more can fit. It's more like a muscle. In that, the more you train it, the stronger it gets, and the more you can store. In this chapter, I'm going to discuss some tools and techniques designed to train your memory. You will be applying basic principles of the mind and developing your memory in such a way that will make learning and remembering more natural, easy, and fun. The most fundamental of these, though, is this: always remember mom, a mnemonic device I created to kick up your memory instantly. M is for motivation. We've discussed this. The simple fact is that we are considerably more likely to remember things that we are motivated to remember. If someone says to you, "Hey, remember our call tomorrow?" you may or may not remember that you've scheduled a call with that person. If instead he says, "Hey, if you remember our call tomorrow, I will give you five thousand dollars," you will definitely remember you've scheduled the call. You are overwhelmingly more likely to remember something when you have a strong motivation to do so. So, if you want to train yourself to have a stronger memory, give yourself a stronger motivation to do so. Remember the power of questions we talked about in the section on motivation. Reasons reap results. So make remembering personal. If you can convince yourself that there's value in retaining a memory, there's a good chance that you will. O is for observation. How often do you forget someone's name as soon as you hear it? The reason is likely that you weren't entirely paying attention when you heard that name. Maybe you were looking around the room to see who else you knew. Maybe you were still thinking about a conversation you'd just had. For whatever reason, you weren't entirely present. Most of the time, when we fail to remember something, the issue isn't retention, but rather attention. If you're serious about boosting your memory, condition yourself to be truly present in any situation where you want to remember something. M is for methods. Over the course of this chapter. I'm going to provide you with a set of tools that you'll be able to use when you want to remember something. Make sure 
You're always carrying these around in your mental toolbox and be sure to employ them to the point where they become second nature. The more memorable baker. The chances of remembering something increase dramatically if people can attach a reference point to the thing they are trying to remember. A number of years ago, after a study testing people's ability to put names to faces, researcher Jillian Cohen coined the name of what came to be known as the Baker Baker Paradox. In the study, participants were shown photographs of faces, offered the names and various details about the people in the photographs, and then asked. To later recall the names. The study showed that people had far more trouble remembering last names than they did occupations, even when the last name and the occupation was the same word. So, for example, it turned out to be significantly easier for a participant to remember that someone was a baker than their last name was Baker. Let's go back to Joshua 4 in a moment for an explanation. When you hear that the man in the photo is a baker, that fact gets embedded in a whole network of ideas about what it means to be a baker. He cooks bread. He wears a big white hat. He smells good when he comes home from work. The name baker, on the other hand, is tethered only to a memory of the person's face. That link is tenuous, and should it dissolve, the name will float off irretrievably into the netherworld of lost memories. But when it comes to the man's profession, there are multiple strings to reel the memory back in. Even if you don't at first remember that the man is a baker, perhaps you get some vague sense of breadiness about him. Or see some association between his face and a big white hat. Or maybe you conjure up a memory of your own neighborhood bakery. There are any number of knots in that tangle of associations that can be traced back to his profession. What the Baker Baker paradox illustrates for us. Is that creating associations for ourselves is likely to boost our memories dramatically. The exercises on the following pages are tools along these lines that I have found particularly effective. Recalling a great deal of information. One of the things I do regularly when I'm speaking to large groups. Is ask audience members to throw out a group of random words, somewhere between 30 and 100, that I will then repeat backward and forward. It never fails to get an odd reaction from the crowd, but that isn't what I'm looking for. Instead, I do this to get across a key point that everyone has the capacity to do the same thing and more. We've already talked about the importance of memory in performing nearly all brain functions. If you're going to unlimit your brain and therefore unlimit yourself, you need to unlimit your memory. This means training your memory to the point where it can retain a great deal of information and allow you easy access to that information. What I do on stage with the list of a hundred words. Might have the immediate impact of a parlor trick, but how I train myself to do this is through a technique that anyone can use to remember and access lots of information. Maybe in your case, it's the specifications for your entire line of products, or maybe it's a long string of mathematical formulas. Maybe it's the directions to all the stops. On your swim practice carpool, whatever it is, this tool can help. For the sake of this exercise, let's talk about how to memorize a list of words.
The technique will be the same regardless, but it'll be easier to explain it to you if we can focus on a particular thing. Below, we have provided you with a list of simple words. Your assignment is to memorize them in the order they are given. Spend no more than 30 seconds looking at the list, then flip the page over, and good luck. I'll read this list to you right now. Fire hydrant. Balloon. Battery. Barrel. Board. Diamond. Night. Ox. Toothpaste. Sign. Now, that was 10 words. What was the method you used to remember this list? Did you repeat the words in your head over and over? For instance, were you saying to yourself, fire hydrant, balloon, battery, fire hydrant, balloon, battery, fire hydrant, balloon, battery, barrel, etc.? Did you find that you needed to repeatedly say the words over and over again until they stayed in your head? Did you try to see the words as pictures in your mind? Most people use one or a combination of the first two methods described. The process of repeatedly saying or writing information down to remember it is called repetition learning otherwise known as rote learning. You may have used rote learning in the second grade to remember your multiplication tables. You would say to yourself, 7 times 7 is 49. 7 times 7 is 49. 7 times 7, or you may have written it out. 7 times 7 equals 49. 7 times 7 equals 49. 7 times 7 equals 49 and you would continue to fill up your sheet of paper. This is also most likely the method you used in elementary school to learn how to spell. Your teacher may have asked you to spell a word like chair 50 times on a piece of paper. What was happening was your natural learning ability was being stifled. You bored your mind continually with this method until it finally gave up and said, you win. For the hundredth time, Columbus landed in 1492, just no more of this chanting. Most people find that rote learning to be a very tedious and boring process. It taxes your mind and is extremely ineffective for remembering most things. We know that as much as 85% of the information you take the time to remember in this fashion is lost in only 48 hours. That is why some students find the need to cram because they know that the material will be lost in a very short period of time. Elementary Learning One of the reasons rote learning is inefficient is because it only involves a small part of your brain. You're using a more analytical part of your brain to process information and store what you need to learn. By implementing rote learning, you only engage part of your mind and an even smaller portion of your potential. In the traditional education system, you probably learn this way in such topics as history. Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. Coolidge 30, 30 Coolidge. Chemistry, glucose, C6H12O6. Glucose, C6H12O6. Glucose, C6H12O6. French, comment allez-vous, means how are you? Comment allez-vous means how are you? Comment allez-vous? How are you? The list goes on and on and on and on. The question you must ask yourself now 
is the way I learned in elementary school the best method for me to learn today? The answer is most likely no. In school, they taught you three R's reading, writing, arithmetic. Too bad spelling wasn't one of them. I always thought the fourth R should have been recall. Your requirements for learning have changed a lot over the years. Repetition learning had some decent results when you were younger, but in today's world, it will leave you drowning in information and mental fatigue. Note the word wrote. Literally means an unthinking repetition or mechanical memorization. In this section, I'm going to show you the skills to remember more effectively than you ever thought possible. These skills will help you to replace the feelings of hoping you'll remember with a feeling of confidence in knowing that the information. You possess will be available whenever you need it. And now, take a minute without looking back at your notes and try to recall the list in order it was presented. Write down as much as you can remember. Take a minute and do this now. How did you do? If you are like most people, you probably were able to retain a few words on the list, and probably not in order. Quick start. Now let's try something else. Take a minute and stretch. Take a few deep breaths. Clear your mind, and relax more with every breath that leaves your body. Just take a moment and relax. When you are done, continue. Now that you are relaxed, I want you to, if it's safe, close your eyes, make sure you are comfortable, and I want you to imagine you're standing next to a giant fire hydrant, the biggest one you've ever seen. Now attach a bunch of balloons on top of that fire hydrant. Notice what color the balloons are. Say out loud what color your balloons are. Say it out loud now. Now there are so many of these balloons. It takes the fire hydrant out of the ground and it floats up high and high in the sky. Then suddenly it is hit. With a barrage of batteries, loads of batteries are coming, and they pop the balloon. I want you to look at the batteries. What brand of batteries are they? Say it out loud. And you wonder where did the batteries come from? The batteries are coming from a gigantic wooden barrel. A gigantic wooden barrel on the ground. There's somebody inside the barrel. Throwing all of these batteries out, and what's different about the barrel is on the side of the barrel is a gigantic surfboard, a gigantic surf board on the side of the barrel, and rolling down the board is a large diamond, not a one or two carat diamond. It's an eighty-four carat diamond, a big. Brilliant, sparkling stone that's rolling down the board, and then it falls off and hits a knight in shining armor. It hits a knight in shining armor on the head. Imagine that. Imagine the diamond falling and hitting a knight in shining armor on the head. He gets knocked out cold, and what happens is. An ox comes to wake him up. Can you imagine that? An ox comes and starts licking him on the head. An ox is doing that, and then afterwards, the ox starts brushing its teeth with toothpaste. 
Imagine that toothpaste on the ox. Imagine the toothpaste all over the ox. Notice what brand of toothpaste it is. And when the toothpaste is done, the toothpaste animates and runs into a big neon sign that says, Congratulations on the sign. Now, I want you to take a moment with your eyes closed and review this little story. Review this little story in your mind. Close your eyes and start with the fire hydrant. Tied to the fire hydrant was what? And review the story in your mind. Quick start. Now, without referring back, what I want you to do is write down the 10 words. Take a moment on your notepad and write down the 10 words in order.